Welcome to Whisker Dice. This is episode 81 of the Whisker Dice Tabletop Gaming Podcast. Today is May 26, 2021. And on today's episode, we'll review the board game, The Lost Ruins of Arnok from CGE. But first, on our hobby quarter, we will catch up on our miniature painting projects that we've been working on. And we'll also dive into what games we have been playing lately. But first, let's catch up with our hosts of the Whisker Dice Tabletop Gaming Podcast. Hey, yo, folks. I'm your host, the Conzie with the most. What is going on? And I am joined here today by the one, the only, the Stark, the raving, the mad one himself. Hey, Brian, what is going on? Hey, it's going pretty good. I'm glad to be here talking about some games. I think we also have another host with us, formerly known as Justin Possum, but he is the Meeple's champion. <laughs> How you if doing, If you Justin? smell what the Meeple is cooking... Hey, Brian, I'm doing good. What's going on, Ben? I am particularly excited today because we are also joined by our brand new host, Matt. Hi, Matt. Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you, Justin and uh, the team. I'm excited to be here. Happy to join you guys and get an opportunity to share in this uh, journey that we're on. Well, it is awesome to have you on board, Matt. Woo! <laughs> that that had to be great audio, right? So, Matt, we we had an episode where we got to know Justin and and shared stuff about ourselves. And well, we would have loved to do that for you, but we did that like two months ago. So, sorry, man. But we would like to ask you a few questions to get to know you a little bit better and to let our audience get to know you a little bit better. So first off, how long have you been doing this gaming thing, man? Oh my goodness. Um, I have been gaming since I was probably about six years old. It's been a very long time. Are we talking like Monopoly or are we talking like real games at six? Uh, I would uh, probably more those types of games back then, but uh, it wasn't very long after that that uh, I started getting into a variety of other types of games too. So, I mean, there, I mean, there was that first copy of Hero Quest when I remember having it, and I never got to play it with anybody but myself. But yep, totally, totally there with you. Gaming has been part of our blood, I think. So, got you into gaming. Well, one, uh, I would say it was probably a little bit of boredom. <laughs> it was the interesting thing about being where I lived. But uh, the second aspect was I very remember going over to a friend's house. And, you know, like all these things start, I, I, I like to say the first hit's free. Somebody brought over uh, some Dungeons & Dragons, the original Dungeons & Dragons, and said, we're going to make characters. And it was an all-night Dungeons and Dragons marathon and it just kind of hooks you and pulls you in and that started a lot of things and since then I've really over the years evolved into almost every aspect of gaming. I do uh, board games, uh, you know, some of the stronger Euro stuff, some of the light easy stuff, uh, miniature gaming and painting. I do a lot of um, I, I also do a lot of video games. I know that's not really focus here, but uh, video games and, and really everything else too in between. So, well, that sounds pretty awesome, man. Very, very diverse background of gaming. Was that D and D you got started? Was that like the old Red Book, Blue Book days, or? Yeah, it was. I remember the guy had a box and it just had like the Red Book, Blue Book, and some real basic uh, adventure that. I think it was the original one that came with the box, if I recall. And those god-awful dice, I still have two mm. of the D12s, because those were the dice that nobody loved back then. But somehow they have survived all these years. You can't barely read the numbers anymore. But yeah, that that was the also the sets of D&D that I remember getting into. So that's really cool. And something I didn't actually know about you. Yeah. So... What games are you most interested in playing today? 
the things I do tend to play the most is uh, Batman miniatures has been the my miniature game of choice that I'm into the most right now. Uh, we do a lot of different types of board games, um, various board game nights uh, that I get involved with, and have a D&D campaign that I'm getting involved with in the horizon in the very near future. So, so that very D&D, excited for that. D&D campaign will be something we all are getting involved with very shortly. Yep. Not quite entirely a team Wisco Dice thing. we got a couple of outside members, but hey, we're, you know, it's exciting to get that that going on. I have not played an actual RPG in ages, so that's going to be really cool to get all of you guys at the table. Yeah, I'm really pumped for it. Yeah, yeah it should exciting. be a great time. Great way to, to you know, meet Matt and like get to know get to know Matt more too. Just jump right into a D and D campaign with him. <laughs> will you know Matt, or will you know his character? Hmm. We'll see. It depends mm. on how good of a role player he is, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. No pressure. No pressure. Yep. Not <laughs> at all. All right. Let's dive into our first segment of the show. And talk a little bit about what games we have been playing. And I'm going to go ahead and kick it off with a game called Leaving Earth. And it's from the Luminaris group. Now this game, I, I think originally it comes in a, like a tiny little box. You'd lightly smaller than say a shoe box. And it's pretty much all cards with a couple of uh, laser cut MDF pieces. Just for like player pieces and that kind of thing. And the theme of the game is that you're playing as basically one of the one of the six major U, uh, nas- uh, countries nationalities in the in the world on Earth during the period between 1956 and 1976. Uh, so basically, the game takes place over 20 years, uh, which is each year is a game round. And what you're basically doing, the theme of the game is basically the space race, the the entirety of that. From you know who's going to be the first nation to get somebody say to the to space to be in orbit who's gonna be this first nation maybe to have a probe basically aka a satellite that actually orbits the earth that stays in orbit uh for multiple years who's gonna be the first you know uh nation maybe to the moon or to mars or uh or various other objectives so there's these objective cards that kind of rank that are ranked from easy to hard and are various different things just like those examples i laid out Uh, i mean i think there's even an objective in the hard deck that you have to go to mars retrieve a sample of life and take and then return it all the way back to earth so it's this really cool kind of thematic game and i've played it with my wife suzanne a couple of times now we did like the super easy introductory game which honestly will take about anybody that's a relatively decent gamer uh about five years of game time to play five rounds. Um, and in our second game, we actually kicked it up to the standard level of mode with standard objectives. And it was, it was a lot of fun. It's a super fun game. And I really, I really liked the cards are all relatively cool stock. The, the uh, little MDF uh, laser cut uh, MDF uh, tokens are okay. Um, the price point of the game is actually not bad. Uh, and it actually makes you do like, cause you have to like calculate you, you acquire these technologies like rock, different types of rockets that were around at the time and, and, uh, different ways to like heat shield, maybe a capsule if you're standing astronauts and life support systems and you have to acquire supplies. And then there's of course, always the chance that your, your rocket or, that you you send out eventually explodes or you don't have enough fuel to get where you're going or to get back so there's like all this math and there's like this a bunch of math and calculations that you're having to do constantly to try to figure out if i put this rocket and this rocket now i have to deal with all this weight on this rocket so do i have enough thrust in the in a pretty simple simplified right this game is not rocket science by the way I have another game that we'll probably play sometime in the near future that's uh, more rocket science in the game, but still not the same level. But uh, it's abstracted really well, but it's it's really cool representation of all those concepts of like, 
weight is your enemy. And so getting things off of planets where there's gravity means that launching heavier things requires more fuel. And which means, you know, in the, in this game, it means you're going to have to have more rockets, but if those rockets don't provide enough thrust, you're not going to get off, uh, got off the earth or get to say Mars or Venus or, um, I think there's even an expansion for the outer planets, so you can go out and beyond um, even the, the Mars-Venus uh, areas, uh, which are our closest neighbors in the galaxy. So it's super cool. I really like the game. It's not... I got a lot of um, feedback when I first bought it that it was going to be a lot crunchier and a lot more complicated than it, than it is, but it really has been uh, a great level of making you think and making you have to do some of this math to try to calculate out can i actually get my rocket with my probe all the way to mars so that i can uh you know do a survey there and and maybe even land and and do and get a rover on mars or something like that Sounds i really awesome. like it cool. it's not a bad price point either i think it was right around 40 ish bucks and yeah, it's it's a great game. I I'm looking forward to actually breaking it out. I think it's just a game that we will break out on one of our game nights. So is it? I, I'm I'm struggling to image it a little bit. Is it more of like a like? Does it have more of like a worker placement thing, or does it more of a deck building? Like what what type of genre would you say? Because I mean, it's got definitely space themed and sounds it's, interesting. It's none of the above. So you're acquiring. <laughs> You'll, you acquire, uh, they're not even quite patents, you acquire the science behind how to create certain types of rockets. And then you, I guess it's maybe a tableau builder in that respect, because you're acquiring the technology to be able to design and build those rockets. And then, uh, and then you, and that costs you some amount of money and funding. And then you spend that some amount of fund money and funding to actually build those rockets. And then you combine the you have to combine those rockets and take them out to the launch pad and launch them. And then they, you know, you you might choose to fire like some amount of rockets to get you off of Earth. And then they 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 have they have actually cards that they use to basically make what would be an actual game board. Um, I think it's to save cost or whatnot. I think these guys were actually printing this game uh, on demand for a while and then shipping it. And it's only very recently that they've gotten to a point where there's enough copies of this game that you can actually get a copy from, like, say, Noble Knight or whatnot. But it's it's definitely different. It's not a deck builder. It's not it's it's not a it's not a worker placement. Um, it's more of a hey, I'm going to pay so much cash. And that's going to allow me to acquire this patent uh, effectively, or this. I'm gonna, it basically allows me to research this technology, this type of rocket, or this kind of other technology that I can then use, that I can then start developing and producing the actual rocket because I figured out the science behind it. Cool. Sounds interesting. All right, so that is what I've been playing, and I'm looking forward to getting that back to the table very soon. It's definitely a game I would recommend. Justin, what have you been playing? Yeah, so this is one of my recent Kickstarter ventures, smaller Kickstarters called Die of the Dead, and it's from a small, like real small publisher, from my understanding, called Radical 8 Games. It is a Dia de los Muertos dice game. The theme is the Day of the Dead, and it has some of the most beautiful art I've I've seen. Beautiful, beautiful game art. That's you know that'll that'll get me a lot of times. It's just really nice game art on a Kickstarter that'll that'll pull me right in. It's a uh, dice game in that the goal of the game is to be the first player to ascend souls, which are your dice, um, from the world of the dead back to the land of the living. And the game uh, features a, a cardboard set of steps, nine steps, and each time you're able to ascend one of the souls from the, the world of the dead, they, you place place one on uh, uh, one of the steps. And so it's, it's a race game to, to place your dice on the steps and race your souls back to the land of the living. It has four just beautifully illustrated caskets. And during the game, 
you take an action associated with one of the caskets that's out. Uh, the first casket is always open and visible. And inside the casket uh, are some number of dice or souls from each player. As you play, you take actions that will add your dice to the casket so that you could potentially get the option to send up the stairs later on. Uh, you might uh, take actions to... Um, uh, with the other caskets, you shake up a casket and then open it up and compare the dice inside. And then whoever has highest number and the most of that number sort of wins and gets a benefit where you might get a token that you can use for different abilities. There, there, so there's four caskets with the fourth casket. If you win the kind of uh, dice roll in that casket, you're able to uh, ascend dice up the stairs. So um, the game has some interesting mechanics of sort of uh, lacing your dice into these caskets, which are then closed, except for the first one, kind of keeping track of where you have a reasonable amount of dice, and then sort of planning the actions properly. You can kind of tweak your dice roll sometimes or add more dice to a casket before someone does something and sort of manipulate the dice inside the caskets a little bit to win the casket and kind of ascend your, your souls, your dice up the stairs. It is a great, light, easy-to-learn game. I think it took maybe 10, 15 minutes to teach. It's very simple. It's a nice, light kind of gateway game. Uh, it has looks beautiful on the table. So, you know, for introducing new people to, to games which are easy to learn and take a little bit of thinking and planning to, to, to do well at, uh, I think it's great for that. Just a, a great, fun, uh, maybe kind of family-level dice game from Radical 8 Games. I also say that I believe it could be hard to find if it's something that sounds like it interests you. Uh, I think the Kickstarter may be all that was available, but I, uh, it may still be available at some of the the Kickstarter reseller places online where you can still purchase like previously Kickstarted games. So yeah, so Die of the Dead by Radical 8 Games. It sounds pretty awesome. Looking forward to seeing it on the table and actually checking out all that cool art. Yeah, it looks it looks great. Yeah, Matt, what have, what have you been playing? Uh, what I've been uh, playing lately is actually a pick a random pickup that my my wife made a while ago. Um, she loved the art on it. The game is called The Big Book of Madness. Uh, mm. It's published by Aiello Games. Uh, it's it's actually a two to five player cooperative game. So in that sort of vein where it's you against the board and you against time to to try to race, uh, it's very thematic. They do a very nice job. Um, it has some some decent art on on it. But basically, the premise behind the game is you are playing as apprentices to this big wizard. And of course, what's the one thing you're never supposed to touch? The one thing you did. So the <laughs> apprentices make a mistake, they touch the book, and of course you unleash what's in the big book of madness, and then chaos ensues. So it plays out over a series of rounds where you're working cooperatively to basically, as the page flips, a monster comes out that's randomized. As the monster comes out, you you get random sets of curses that apply to everyone, and you have to try before the page turns to clear up the curses and defeat the monster. Now, technically, the only way you, you the only one you have to beat to win the game is the one on the final page. But every time you fail to clear a monster and clear those curses, the curses stack up, things get worse. And everybody suffers negative penalties. So failing to clear monsters is not always a good thing. So it just has a really great theme to it. Uh, my wife and I played it. It was a little, I felt like the first time it was a little complex to figure out. But actually, once you, you've played a couple rounds, it makes a lot of sense. It's pretty straightforward to play. That sounds nice. cool. Yeah, actually, this is one I've I've played before as well. I I really like this game. Would uh, love to play it some more. It's it's uh, you know a, a good co-op. I think it has some uh, some some good interaction between players to kind of figure out what. As I recall, it's kind of what elements do we need to 
kind of collect to to clear the curse or or defeat yeah. is that kind of that's what it is right yeah it's and and how do we want to team up knowing that you're coming next i might prep something on my mm-hmm. side so that you can use it or you're going to pick up these type of cards and, and prep it. And, and it, it is a pretty quick play. It, it usually only takes like an hour, hour and a half. So it is a nice one that if you're playing for a while, you can pull this one out, kind of fill a gap in time and not feel like you're going to play for five hours straight on the same game. Sounds like a great game to get in for game nights too. Yeah, I'll have to bring it over sometime. Perfect kind of size game for a weeknight evening game night. Yep. Totally cool. We're going to transition into our hobby corner then and talk about our what miniature hobby projects that we've been working on. And I'm going to go ahead and have, since we haven't heard much from Brian so far, why don't Brian, you go ahead and get us kicked off here. I actually, I had a mini for a while from this character who was started in a previous campaign, but that campaign fizzled out real quick. So I was kind of excited to reuse the character again hopefully get them to get somewhere this time. So I had the mini for a while. It was like based and uh, base coded. Well, not base coded, but primed from the previous one, but I got them back out and I had to kind of touch up the primer a little bit because it knocked her. I got some base colors on it. Excited to paint something a little different here that I'm kind of a one-off. Um, I guess it's, it's just a, I think a, a Reaper miniature. I got it quite a long while ago now, so I don't really remember for sure. But it's uh, my character's going to be a sorcerer, so I think the model's like a human. Like my character's going to be a half elf, but I don't kind of the same difference. Um, so I'm pretty excited to paint that up. I think there might be a recurring trend of D and D miniatures coming up in the hobby corner here. Um, Matt, what have you been up to? Well, I've been doing pretty much the same as you, though my character is a new creation. I am uh, working on two separate uh, models because my wife is also participating in the campaign for D&D. So I have a halfling gardener that she picked out that will be representing her halfling druid. I believe that one was a Reaper miniature. And I have uh, picked up a... Uh, a very nice sculpt, I believe it's from WizKids, for a half-elf monk uh, that I will be working on. Have have the one primed, the other one I'm still working on cleaning up the all the mold lines and getting it primed, but should see some paint on it here very shortly. How about you, Justin? What have you been working on? I am still working on my... Uh, I talked in a in the previous episode that I got one of these learn to paint kits from Reaper. Uh, so I'm still kind of working on my learn to paint miniatures. I, I've finished one and I'm nearly done with the second one in this set there. Uh, there was like a wizard and a halfling and a guy carrying a big treasure chest. And so I'm, I'm trying to finish up a, a halfling and it's uh, ooh, like, you know, I'm learning. Uh, it has a lot of fine details and and they are causing me some some struggle i need to just like i'm looking at it and like every time i make a brush stroke it flicks paint or touches some other area so it's just like my own sloppiness i need to kind of figure out like uh, a little better control or something yeah the fine control definitely comes with practice too and I mean, you know, I'm not, you know, uh, I'm kind of a, a little bit of an artist background, but this is a, a whole new level of fine motor control, you know. So I have some, but <laughs> still need some work. It It is definitely a different skill set. And there's so many aspects of it that go into it that I don't think people think about, like even how how what type of brush you're using, how fine, like what's the right thickness of the paint and all the other aspects of how do you put paint on a piece of three-dimensional metal or Mm -hmm. resin or plastic? I switched to, as I was doing this, this figure, I switched to a triple zero brush, which is pretty small, I guess. Is that pretty small brush? I don't know. It's really small. You probably want to stick more to a zero 
for most of your painting. And then because okay. what, what you find with a triple zero and what you find with those really tiny brushes is the paint dries out too fast because you don't have enough mm. paint on the tip. And you're probably fighting a little bit of, I don't know what brushes you're using. So, but I wouldn't, I'm going to suspect you're fighting a little bit of maybe not quite the right brush. The the kit came with a, I think a one and a triple zero. And that's all I've used so far. I do have some other brushes that I bought as well. I just haven't dipped into them because I was like, oh, let's just start with what they gave me do the kit, you know? So I switched to the smaller one just because I was dealing with these fine details and yeah. Still, still pretty tricky. And I realized too that, man, I really have to blast this thing with light to see these fine details and see the contrast and the little shadows. So I started wearing like a little uh, camping headlamp while I was painting because I don't have a good, uh, good light source. That that actually did help a fair bit. But uh, yeah, working on that, and I am building up towards, you know, feeling confident enough to paint my D and D mini. But I'm gonna I'm gonna get through these sort of practice ones first. A couple more practice uh, figures first. So I know you can see, uh, but I'll like describe. I use a this is like a, one of those elbow arm lamps with a magnifying glass. Well, you can't see anything through the magnifying glass because it's dirty as all heck. But I really just use it with a daylight bulb. <laughs> And the key is the daylight bulb, and it's directly overhead whatever I'm painting, which, by the way, I'm painting what I'm going to talk about in a second. Live on air. Live on air, yeah. <laughs> you can totally see all this awesomeness of the painting that's going on. But uh, there is a lot of content and in, in, in articles and videos out there that'll talk about miniature painting setups and ways to do it. And I'm not convinced even the way I have my setup is really the best way it just happens that i think i've had this particular little elbow um magnifying glass lamp for i don't know 15 years now and it was repurposed from something else that uh, i think uh somebody else was using that was in the house and didn't need it anymore and i just repurposed it for miniature painting so lighting is definitely a big piece of it and I'm getting older and I start to notice the eyesight starting to go just a little bit, but having a really good light and having that workspace that you're working on really well lit up will help a lot as well. Yeah. I can, I can see how that magnifying glass would be useful too. That could help. <laughs> I don't think I've ever actually used it. Oh, really? Interesting. I, I would definitely see myself using it just to see the, the little bits. I really like it as a, because the one thing I really like about this lamp and we're, a little derailed on miniature topics is that I can position the lamp. I'm, I'm moving it around as we're talking. So Justin can see, but I can position it so I can really get the light where I need it to be able to see what I'm painting. And they're really, I'm using an led bulb. So there's a little heat that comes off of that, which will, you'll have to fight and worry about drying your paint. Uh -huh. um, if you get it too close to the figure, because anything that dries the paint between the time you get it off your palette to your model will, cause especially those smaller brushes to have more problems lighting is a big piece of it you need to have great lighting i think to paint well and i'm not a great painter so i only have okay lighting <laughs> uh what are you painting there ben tell us tell us please like most everyone else i am in the world of painting D, &D miniatures so this upcoming campaign we keep talking about for the D, &D is featuring myself as the dungeon master and what i've discovered as i'm going through this published campaign book is that i am sorely lacking with all of the miniatures i own and i own hundreds if not thousands of figures around this house is that i'm sorely lacking in the things that you need to run dnd so uh between the models that i've bought and when i backed the i think that was reaper bones to kickstarter so reaper has like a kickstarter about every year or so year year and a half uh in their bones line where they pump out a whole boatload of miniatures that you can get usually about a figure about a dollar a figure roughly is what it ends up equaling out to so i think i backed reaper bones to hearing at the time about how great it was for how many miniatures you got and then i got it and i was like I was a big Warhammer person at the time, so I was kind of like, I'm really disappointed with these figures, and 
I, they were sold as you don't need to prime them. And I, yeah, you need to prime them, but you can't use standard primer on them because you'll melt the plastic, the spray, standard spray can primer. So they just kind of sat in a tub forever. And now like, oh, hey, they're really useful, but I'm still missing like, like kobolds and goblins and a bunch of other stuff. So I'm, that you really needed a low level, so I bought some uh, the WizKids models, uh, both the uh, Pathfinder and the I think it's Nolders or something like that uh, lines of of figures that they have that are all in the unpainted stuff, so I can paint them up. And I have been blasting through various humans and dwarves and goblins, gnolls, wolves, and just crazy other stuff, so that I can be ready for the first few sessions of Icewind Dale, Rime of the Frost Maiden, and seeing how well Jan wary adventurers manage in the frigid cold. Yeah, I'm excited to see all, all that stuff come to the table, man. That's that's really exciting. I might have a few surprise models as the campaign goes along, too. Um, that will bring some delight and some oh my god i can't believe we're fighting that kind of moments but i think that's part of what makes a great D game as well yeah for sure i'm really looking forward to you running it with all those miniatures the last few times i've played D, there was like dice to represent enemies or like you know paper chits and stuff like that so i'm excited to see big minis guy to have all the awesome miniatures and all of them well painted by you. <laughs> I wouldn't know about well. I'm these are these are getting relatively well, well, low end paint jobs, <laughs> but they look they all will look all nice and and will help set things up. And I'm really hoping it won't be available for the first few months of sessions. We're only doing a session a month, but I'm I'm really looking at some other special treats and uh, see about throwing in. Uh, but I don't want to mention anything yet until I have product in my hands that I've actually committed to because I'm doing a lot of research right now. Cool. I I'm really sure want this game to be special, and I really want this game to be pretty cool for all of the players. We, we, Making it even more intriguing. Yeah, <laughs> uh, we have faith in you. I, I'm I'm excited, man. Yeah. I've all seen, right. I've seen some of your work recently, and I'm sure it'll be awesome. All right, and with that, I think we're going to go ahead and leave all of you wondering about what's actually going to be coming in this D&D campaign. But don't worry, we will have plenty of pictures of our gaming sessions, and I'm sure we'll talk about it on future episodes of the Wisco Dice Tabletop Gaming Podcast. But for now, let's go ahead and take a break, and when we come back, we'll get into our main topic, uh, the Lost Ruins of Arnok. See you in a moment. All right, and we are back. And we're going to go ahead and dive into our review of Lost Ruins of Arnok for our main topic. So in Lost Ruins of Arnok, you're going to play as one expedition company, and you're going to go ahead and place workers on this island trying to discover ruins and document in your little logbook and research things and take worker actions and collect these cards that are going to go into a deck that allows that helps drive what actions you can take when it's your turn and all of this over the course of five rounds and whichever player has the most victory points novel concept victory points most victory points at the end is declared the winner so that is at a very high level, the Lost Ruins of Arnak. So let's go ahead and dive into the first piece of the review, which is components. And I'm going to go ahead and pick on the Meeple's champion himself, Justin, to give us a breakdown of what he thought of the components for this game. Yeah, I, I was generally impressed by the components. I felt like they were unique. They're um, some nice plastic components, these nice plastic kind of chiseled out arrowheads there are some unique ruby gems and uh sort of engraved tablets three of the main resources in the game have these nice plastic models model components 
the most of the components are, are cardboard, as I recall. Um, but I felt that uh, the components really felt, excuse me, fit well with the theme of the game. I can kind of tie the idea of an arrowhead in with the action I'm taking to defeat one of the guardians at these sites that I'm going to explore. Um, or I'm gaining this knowledge from a ta an ancient tablet I've discovered and, and turning that into um, progression on the research track. I'm sort of documenting my findings and, and learning from this stuff. And I think also the tokens themselves really align well with the art that's on the board and the cards. So there's no confusion as to what location gives as a reward when you go to discover it or what a card provides um, in terms of a resource. Unique components, uh, they look really nice and yeah, really, really boost the, the theme of exploring this wild island, you know, in a sort of an Indiana Jones kind of a feel to it. Matt, how about you? Or well, sorry, well, uh, I'll, I'll go to Matt, but I will point out that Matt was not able to join us to play this one, but I believe he did do some research. Yeah, I've, I've been doing some research on the game. I, I was able to watch a few videos regarding how it was played. Uh, I, I do agree the components look great. I, I think the thing that really struck me that I liked was the artwork. Uh, some of the artwork I could see on the cards and the board overall, I thought were just fantastic. And like you said, with that theme of this is a lost island with things to discover yeah. and that I thought it just really pulled it together because some boards are very generic, but this one did a really nice job of like sticking with the theme and making the art look really beautiful from what I can see. Uh, I, I, I'm really interested to hear Brian, what, what you thought of it though. And cause you got a chance to, to play it in person. Yeah, I definitely agree with everything that was already said. Like the unique components were really cool. And I thought it was kind of odd that a couple of them were just like punch out cardboard still. I assume maybe that was like a cost thing in whatever printing the game. Um, and there was a ton of really good artwork and really unique cards. Like, I don't, there's not very many multiple of cards in there besides the very basic cards. So every single card has different artwork on it. And like sometimes I feel like artwork can kind of detract from the layout of it. But I felt like the it didn't interfere with like the gameplay at all. Like the board setup was really good, and the art didn't take anything away from the ease of playing. So while it was really pretty, it was still really simple to kind of see what was going on. That was kind of my main thoughts. Uh, ben, did you have anything else to add? Yeah, I was going to go ahead and add one little tidbit is that, and, and this ties a little bit to gameplay because there are, you end up with a deck of cards that you are constantly cycling through. And there's, I think you start with, or you start the game with six cards basically in your deck. And that means basically you're, you're acquiring maybe per round two, maybe three cards. Four cards in a round is probably being pretty crazy for a round, but, you know, I think it's possible. So over the course of the game, if you think the game's five rounds, you're only adding maybe at, at tops, maybe ten more cards to that deck. So you're constantly shuffling and handling and, and whatnot on the cards. So... For our copy, we actually went ahead and sh and uh, leave the cards right away just to try to prevent any damage or wear and tear issues from that much handling on the cards. But, the, I mean, the cards themselves are really good material. I had no complaints there. It's just the, you know, my concern over the course of the time with the way the, the mechanics make you handle and and use those cards that I think it's going to cause really undue wear and tear if you don't actually sleeve this game. So this is a, one of the few games in my collection that is actually fully sleeved and started out started out almost out, or right after the first play, we were like, we have to sleeve this game. You're kind of saying even more than a, a normal deck builder, this game has a deck building mechanic. You're, you're, you're thinking these cards are going to get even more shuffling and, and wear than a maybe an, another deck builder. Oh, definitely. Uh, especially the four cards that are that are yours that are that player colors cards. 
that they're all the same cards for each player, but there's you only have four of them, and they're always going to be in everybody's deck right from the get-go. So those in particular, I think, would get a lot of wear and tear because I, I don't think you get through enough of like the artifacts and the and the equipment decks to really wear those as much. But the the four cards you start with uh, that are your player player cards are definitely going to get chewed up over time, especially if you end up getting this game to the table 8, 10, 12, 15 times. So this is a sleeve it on play one. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, and I don't sleeve a whole lot of my games. So that's that for me to say that that's a, a definite thing you might want to you're you're probably going to want to do. All right, let's go ahead and dive into the gameplay and theme and immersion factors of this of this game. And Justin, why don't we go ahead and again start with you? Yeah, my my first big thing I noticed, I felt like the gameplay was very smooth and the teach and the learning was very simple. It's not a it's not an overly simple game, but the concepts really were easy to grasp and well represented on all the cards and on the board and on the player aid this provided. It was the first time like I had played and I believe Brian as well. I don't think we had any rules questions throughout the entire game. We never had to look up a rule. There was no weird situations that weren't covered. Uh, so well designed in that respect. Real, real, real smooth gameplay um, start to finish. In terms of, you know, the feel of the game, throughout the game, you have two workers, adventurers or explorers, if you will. Uh, architects. That, uh, architects. Ben kept calling them <laughs> architects. <laughs> That's right. Uh you're two guys who you can go send out to these locations to to explore and then uh, uh, defeat or gain the respective guardian monsters. Uh, and you only ever have two. So that can f start to feel kind of restrictive as the game goes on. You're able to build your deck and gain some more resources from those cards, but you only ever have the two workers. I think, though, even with that restriction, there are enough enough ways by building your deck, by gaining assistance from the research track, uh, that uh, you can find ways to kind of augment your turn and um, uh, kind of get over that that initial restriction of just really just two workers. Um, also, I think. Uh, it seems to me like there's enough different victory paths that different strategies would be successful in the game. So um, uh, depending on the combos you're able to find between the cards that you add to your deck and locations that are out on the board and, and uh, uh, the, the assistance that are available uh, through the, through the sort of the research track. So I think, uh, when in the game we played, Ben was able Ben was able to find some really good combos in his cards. He was able to add to his deck, whereas I kind of found my combo through sort of a, a combination of good assistance. You can have two assistants to sort of provide a, a free action for you during your turn, and, and that's where I found my combo. But I think there's enough different ways to uh, to get victory points that um, you can kind of try different things out. What do you think, Brian? What What's your thoughts on this one? Yeah, I kind of agree with that um, for the most part. Like, in our game we played the other day, like, we did all kind of... I felt like we all trapped a little different way in our strategy. And, I mean, we all came pretty close to winning. Like, it was a really skewed game for any of our respective strategies. One thing that there's, like, pretty low player interaction, I feel like. Like, it is worth replacement mm -hmm. still so there's a little bit of like looked at resources there but there wasn't a whole lot of competition going on but beyond that and like comparing your points so that was one minor downside to the gameplay is that you are competing but there's not really like a lot of interaction in that way and preventing somebody doing something or anything like that um i guess on the flip side of that it did kind of make it fun to kind of like for each other and certain scenarios and stuff like that like I had one card that I thought was pretty funny it was just a revolver item and that you like 
what when Eddie Guardian's favorite. I just thought that was hilarious because I don't know, Ben probably just like sex guardians with that. <laughs> yeah. Funny whipping up the revolver to defeat him easily. Um, and stuff like that. It was fun that way to root for your fellow gamers. That sounds like a great homage to some uh, Indiana Jones in there. <laughs> I might have used that uh, exact analogy every time I whipped out the revolver and and you know, you know convinced a guardian that a he was a uh, okay to let me plunder those ruins. Yeah, that uh, Brian, your your point about the worker placement. If you don't mind. Yeah. Uh, Go ahead. No, I, I just, I just want to say, I think that's a really good point with this game because with other worker placers, you sometimes will expect a tension in placing your workers and blocking other people's spaces that they can go to. And that happens in the beginning of the game, but as it expands and you open up new locations, it pretty much goes away. And so that, that player interaction diminishes because now there's just lots of places that the workers can go. And everybody only has two. So I thought that's just really a point. Yeah, especially like you said, there's a lot of other ways to like get those resources through your assistants and other cards and stuff. So it even becomes like less critical. So and yeah, as yep. you said, it does build as the game goes on that it less interactive that way. And then I was getting to back to the Guardians. Um I thought that was a little disappointing in my first play of the game, is that each of these hidden places you discover as a guardian, and you have to—I don't remember exactly how they rates—they phrased it. You had to like appease the guardian, get the treasure from them, or whatever, kind of unlock that area, or else you would just be scared of them. Like it wasn't really a big conflict or anything. I guess I wouldn't expect like a combat mechanic in the game or anything like that, but um, it just seemed kind of underwhelming. Would discover this kind of cool, neat monster, give them some stuff, and kind of that's all that happened with them. Like, it's a very high-risk, high-reward kind of feeling or that. And another part of the game, there was, like, kind of two levels of places to discover. Like, um, some of them were kind of harder to get to and kind of cost um, more, like, resources to get there. But after that, like, they still had the same guardian. So at least the locations would have some bigger benefits, but still they were just any random guardian could defend those places, which again no was bigger just risk. Yeah, there wasn't like really any kind of epic coolness to the guardians. It was just kinda anytime if you got stuck on a space and you didn't defeat a guardian, I think the the penalty was to add a fear card to your deck, which really was you know, it junks up your, your deck a little bit, but it's only worth one negative point at the end of the game. So like you said, there isn't mm-hmm. a whole lot of uh, yeah, risk there either. Fairly easy to phase out those cards as you played too. So while it was good to defeat the Guardian and stuff, if it didn't, it was kind of like, eh, oh well. You could even like play that into your strategy and not worry about it. Like, it wasn't really a big deal. Yeah. Um, with that being said, but I was really pumped for the theme of the game and the artwork really tied into everything and along that lines like although it was the theme of the game like the gameplay really followed that theme like I think you alluded to a bit you're collecting these different resources that are kind of game theme based for researching more which was you know kind of like a real life tie in or dream. so I thought that was good that the game mechanics really played in and it wasn't just a game with a theme kind of thrown in afterwards. Ben, did you have anything more to add on the gameplay? Yeah, I mean, the gameplay itself is really good in this game. It's my, my biggest complaint is that it feels very random. And I think some of the randomness is necessary to make it replayable and not play the same. But the locations that come out are random. Uh, and you don't use the entire set of locations every game. The card decks for the uh, equipment and the relics or the uh, are random, and you don't get the same. Or the artifacts, the equipment and artifacts cards are 
random and you certainly even at you know at three players is the largest game i've played of it so far you we didn't even come close to churning through half of either of those decks with the size of your player deck i happen to have a mechanism this game that let me by the end of the game i was drawing ev- almost every card in my deck in a round uh, but that most of the time, everything, the rest of you, you and Justin were drawing uh, maybe six to eight cards. We were going through, and your deck now is like twenty cards. So you're you're not necessarily cycling. It's a little bit random. Yeah, you draw your hand for the next round, and there's a little bit of control with how you purchase, like say, equipment cards, and they fall into your deck. But if you just don't get the cards you need to do the actions you need or the cards don't come out that happen to go with the strategy you're trying to employ, or any number of those other little factors of randomness that just don't work out, you get the Guardian that you can't overcome, and now you get a Fear card that junks up your small little little limited deck. Like All those little random bits leave a, a slightly bad taste in my mouth and i and i don't want to be like that's a like you should think of it as this like oh my god there's a whole lot of randomness in this game because it really isn't that random and i think there's a lot of the game gives you a lot of really unique ways to overcome these things but it's it's that element that just makes it for me a, a very interesting game but it's not necessarily a it doesn't necessarily make uh, make it like a perfect game for me. I think actually we all had fun playing it. I mean, you know, even with some of the complaints that we that we that we have, right? I mean, I did anyways. So, so really? one of the one of the things I did want to hone in on because because this was I I think you guys all had a lot of great insights, and it was one of the things I picked up on as I was watching a gameplay video of this particular. One is, do you guys have concerns uh, with, in a game like this, like Ben said, there's a certain elements of randomness, but would you have concerns with this game for someone who knew the game really well being good, able to sort of min-max their way to to the game being not fun for others, right? Like, if you've ever had one of those games that can be a lot of fun, but having somebody who knows every trick, every card combo, every combination of, you know, research assistant plus this plus this equals, like Ben was saying, he stumbled upon a very lucky he could cycle his deck, which gave him more opportunities. But would you be concerned with this being that somebody could take advantage of that? Or do you think there's enough randomness that it wouldn't be a problem? In my opinion, I think this game mitigates that to an extent because of the randomness. And I say that because I have another game that I really, really like, which is Hellertal from Mui Rosenberg. And in that game, it is definitely a factor and an advantage for someone who has played it before or several times before to turn into a runaway winner because they know they have a better feel for what actions to select and it's more uh solving a puzzle where this one is oh god what do i got to deal with now do i how do i scramble to get these resources to be able to do this uh this thing because now i gotta i want to try to deal with this guardian because that's going to score me some points and give me things or that part it's it's much it's it's much harder to plan i think in this game because of the way it hand, handles the random nature when you go to discover a new location you might get fabulous prizes that are really helpful or you cuz you don't know what's at that location until you draw the tile from the deck so you might get things that are useful but aren't the things you were hoping for or needed and though all right. those kind of things make make uh, play into that that whole factor of strategies, and honestly, I think that this game I played it. Th- this will be my that was my third play, Justin's first play, and he turned around and beat us pretty soundly, actually. Yeah, that sounds great. It, 
Yeah, I, I agree with Ben on this. The the randomness definitely mitigates that. I think you'll still have an aspect of somebody who knows the game will be keeping an eye out for those really good cards because they know they're in there, right? And they'll know what card's going to help them the most, right? Uh, but you still only see five at a time, and there's a pretty big deck. Uh, and so getting that combo and also getting it when you have enough money to get the card or enough... Uh, uh, exploration tokens to get the card mitigates that for sure. And then, just again, the two the two worker things are uh, to the two worker restriction will slow you down regardless. So I think it would be mitigated some for players that that know what to do and know what to look for. And yeah, the the locations come out randomly, so you don't exactly know what's going to be available, what resources might be more prevalent or uh, plentiful, I should say in a given game so like at the start of our game arrowheads there was one space we could get them and so they were kind of a rare resource for a while uh and then enough other things happened and came out and people got cards where well you know now arrowheads are easy to get so it it sort of also changes dynamically when you when you play yeah that, like i didn't really think about that how it is kind of when you're playing against somebody who's really game they can have that strategy it's kind of hard to keep up with if it's your first play and um i think it definitely would mitigate that like there's just it would be really hard to count getting the same cards twice and just by what um locations pop up and stuff like that like, i think you'd have a really hard time planning ahead and that's maybe why it was so kind of exciting to keep going you know, like you were really thinking your toes and like your deck was evolving your strategy the whole time and like, I don't think any, like, single card in your deck was, like, overwhelmingly powerful. It's kind of the combinations that you build as you go, which is, you know, kind of general strategy in the deck build. But in order to, like, do the same thing twice, I feel like that'd be really hard to do and have it be, like, good enough to play, too. So that's a really good point you brought up, Matt. Yeah, I mean, I'm excited to see it on the table myself. It, it looks like a really fascinating marry between worker placement with a research aspect and the deck building. I mean, I do agree, based on what Ben said, it is a very small deck. You, you know, there's only, I believe it's five rounds in the game, correct, guys? Mm -hmm. It is. Something like that? So, yeah. I mean, five rounds, you're not going to build a very large deck, but still, it's fascinating to kind of marry those two together because so frequently you see a deck builder or you see worker placement you don't see too many of them where they bring them together in this way and they did a pretty good job too like they weren't like you know totally separate things like they're really kind of entertaining place so it was yeah and, I, and and at this you know i think something we didn't mention is that uh all the cards in the game have kind of a dual purpose too uh, you you build uh, your deck with cards that you can use to help you explore because uh, they have some transportation symbol on them. But then they also have this other potential action, and this is the thing you might want to be trying to combo with other cards in your deck. So it's not that sort of standard deck building where you would just have an action on the card and do that thing. You have some choices too with what you add to your deck. Uh, there's some other reasons to buy a card versus like its single action it provides you. There's there's a little bit more of these the the transportation that helps you boost another aspect of the game, the exploration part of it too. So that was something I, I liked about it. Yeah, I think it needs that multifunction, and I didn't even think about it that way. So that's a really good point. I it really does make what you're deciding and taking into your your deck and why you're taking certain cards a factor. Like uh, I think it uh, there was certainly a couple of points where there were things that you needed the, the airplane movement capability to overcome. And, you know, it's a little, you know, yeah, you can spend some coins, but now you're spending resources. Wouldn't it be really nice to have a card in your deck to be able to, to account for that requirement? So, yeah, that was, that was a big thing. I didn't even think about or realize about it. I think there's too many games these days that are leveraging that. Let's use cards for multiple functions in a game. Yeah, and it and it wasn't the case of overwhelming choices either. I think you're with the limited cards you have each turn, you do have choices to make with each card, but it's not so much that anyone's suffered really bad AP or anything like that. 
which can be a problem with with some of those cases where you can, you know, do two different things with one card or whatever. Yep, definitely. So why don't we go ahead and dive into our final thoughts on Lost Ruins of Arnok? And I'll go ahead and give it a start. So on all of our re- on all of our reviews of games, we go ahead and give a use a scale of one to ten. Basically, our board game geek rating for the game, with ten being the best and one being the worst. Kind of think of ten being you better go out and and buy this game and play a marathon of it just like you would an Indiana Jones marathon. Well, maybe not the Crystal Skull, but the rest of the trilogy or the the main trilogy part of it, or a one being. I can't even think of a bad exploration movie but maybe you know you're the you're the you're the swordsman that walked up to indiana jones and (laughs) he pulls out his pistol and shoots you that's a one (laughs) so i gave this game a seven on board game geek i find it super fun to play i if somebody wants to play it i am more than happy to get it off the shelf i mean when justin suggested us to use this for our review game this week. I was, yeah, I've got a copy. Let's play. You know, it was neat. You know, I'm totally happy to get it to the table. Uh, it's, I, I mentioned the randomness. I random, I mentioned how the, the game kind of is different and it's definitely going to change up the gameplay, uh, significantly every play because of that randomness. I think it does make a great experience because the theme is very well, deployed within the game the immersion gets uh, gets out there in the game and the other thing that i i found is that not only is the rule book really well laid out it's easy it's relatively easy to cheat uh, to teach and it's everything simple enough the player aid is right there it tells you everything you need to know it's well put together in that respect so it, it makes it just an en- enjoyable game to get to the table but at the same time if somebody in your for my opinion, if somebody already has this game in your gaming group, don't bother running out to buy it. It's it's not it it doesn't blow me away that much. What do you think of it, Justin? Yeah, uh, I really enjoyed playing it. I thought it was fun to play. It looks beautiful. The components are great, but I'm kind of in the same position as you, where I liked it. There wasn't anything that really blew me away. So the hardcore gamer side of me i'd probably agree with you at a seven maybe even maybe even a little more 7.2 i liked it uh as a more introductory game to newer kind of a person i think this is a seven and a half it's really easy to play it involves some strategic thinking it looks great the theme is exciting. It's not a retread of farming games or dungeon crawls, which are great themes, but there's lots of those kinds of games out there. So I think the ease of play, the art, the theme, and the just a general experience of playing the game pushes that up a little bit for my more casual side. So those are going to average out back to a seven, though, for me. <laughs> Well, that was a long way to get to a seven, but hey, that's pretty cool. <laughs> Brian, why don't you go ahead and give us, uh, as you're the, the final person here that's actually played this one, why don't you go ahead and give us your rating for the last Ruins of Arnok? Uh, I think I'm right on trend with what both of you guys said. Um, uh, preemptively, I had given it like a six. Um, I think with maybe a few more plays and seeing how it whole plays it goes, I would maybe go a little higher. Um, and I think my six was keeping it a little lower on my perspective just because it wasn't real crunchy and like real gamey, but it was a lot of fun. Um, I definitely liked the theme. And um, like Justin said, I could see it being a really good um, like induction to kind of a little more advanced game that, mm-hmm. you know, a non-gamer would be. And I think it would be really attractive from uh, that side for sure, um, just because it was so easy to pick up the rules and like it was really shocked not to have rules questions like our play kind of so that makes it very accessible 
the theme's really fun too. I don't think anybody would not like that. So I think that would bump it up a little more for like a new gamer kind of person. A seven or eight kind of thing from that perspective. So you're thinking of it as a gateway drug? That's reasonable. Yeah, it's probably pretty good at that. <laughs> having Matt, having played like did a you game like give Wingspan. It sorry, I was just right, saying having played a game like Wingspan, this game is right along. I think the same level, just a bit more random. So Wingspan, I would definitely see as a a game that's really good for you're looking for a lighter gaming experience or you're transitioning maybe from a ticket to ride. This is a great next level game. And a pretty good introduction to deck building. Uh, it's, it's a kind of deck building light. Got those, got those concepts in there, but mixing in some other mechanics, you know? Mm-hmm. So Matt, what do you, what, what are you going to rate this game? Just, you know, after hearing all this, <laughs> I, I don't want to give it a rating because I don't feel like I'm giving it a fair uh, shake because I haven't had yeah. a chance to play it. But kidding, uh, yeah. I, I will say after hearing what you guys have said, I mean, for, I, I'm from a definitely... don't want to play it to I really want to play it. Where are you at? I, I'm, I'm definitely in the I'd really like to see it on the table game game. Hearing the theme follows very well with the play. I mean, I would definitely like Ben said, I, I'll just I'll just borrow his copy. I won't buy it myself but uh it yeah it sounds like a lot of fun to play so i i I will say i think for a game that you have like you have a house full of teenagers this is a game that might work really well if those if that house full of teenagers also like playing games and they do so might be might be a decent pickup so that wraps up our review of the Lost Runes of Arnok. We, of course, during, during this episode, we want to give a big shout out once again to Matt, who's joined the team. And we're really excited to have Matt on. And as you could hear, uh, he's got a wonderful diversity of tabletop gaming backgrounds. So we're going to look for all sorts of interesting new things coming from Matt, both his contributions to the show, which will only make things better here, but also to the blog and all of our other things that we're doing currently also on this show we caught up on the games we've been playing that would include leaving earth die of the dead and the big book of madness a bunch of miniature hobby stuff that we've been working on clearly this dungeons and dragons thing is is pushing us in a direction that uh is driving a lot of our miniature hobby and of course that big review of lost runes of arnak i hope you guys enjoyed it Thank you so much for listening. Make sure you leave a review of this show wherever your favorite place is to find podcasts. Oh, and by the way, give us a like on our Facebook page. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Pinterest while you're at it. If you haven't looked recently, make sure you catch up on the blog at whiskodice.com. Hey, Brian, what's that site? Oh, darn it. I forget. Uh, Justin, what's our website again? Whiskodice.com. That's right, it's whiskodice.com. And until next time, everyone, peace out.